Welcome to Elite Team Athletics Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Congratory, and we have the pleasure of having All-American, All-Big Ten, Minnesota go for great Vincent Greer with us today. How's it going, Vince? It's going great. It's going great. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing in this pandemic, man? You know, just staying at home, doing the right things that they ask, uh, especially with the restrictions, going into places, making sure I have my mask, staying social distance, doing all the right stuff, you know. Your family doing well? Everybody's good? Everyone's doing well. Everyone's just, you know, a little cautious, you know, but it's all for the better. Hopefully this gets over with, sports gets to going, this gets out the way, people can go back to school and so forth. I'm glad to hear everybody's doing good. You know, I wanted to get into it because I got a Jordan connection. I, I, I didn't live in Jordan, but I went to school there for three years. And uh, a big name in my town is Dick Ames, who's a really good personal friend of yours who, rest in peace, passed away. But I want to talk to you about that because not many people are a young man like yourself are best friends with billionaires or really good friends with billionaires. Yes. Well, me and Mr. Ames, we met my junior year, 04, when I came into Minnesota. And he just took a liking to me, you know. He would always just ask, how you doing, how is basketball? But one thing that stuck out about him, he always asked me, he said, you remind me of one of my good friends, Metal Lark Lemon, that played for the Harlem Gold Trucks. That is kind of before my time, so I asked my grandma and granddad, y'all know who Metal Lark Lemon is? They was like, yeah, he was a great Harlem Gold Trucks, da 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 And um, so far, and I looked him up, looked a little bit of game footage they had on him, and um, he had, we went and played, I want to say Arizona State, and he had Metal Lark Lemon, this is how old it is. He sent me a VHS about because Dick Games was the only person that called me Vinny. No one else in the world calls me Vinny. He says, Vinny, this is what Metal Art Lemon says. Vinny, how are you doing? You have to go to class, stay in school, do the right thing. And that was like everyone was laughing. And it was right before like a pregame thing. So we had like a day before we got ready for the game. So we were about to look at video and it was just a good time. And a lot, a lot of people might not know, but Dick Ames is one of the biggest, uh, or he was, and I'm sure the Ames are still donating, but they're one of the biggest donors, donators to the U of M, a huge supporter well, of the program. Well, sure, you're talking about football, basketball, had season tickets, if I'm not believe, since 1950-something. Yeah. So I mean. <laughs> his ties go back with the U uh, well over years. You're talking about ice hockey arenas in Lakeville. Um, NFL, uh, NFL turf in Jordan High School football. <laughs> he does so much for the community, you know, with his fairs, of course, when he used to have the uh, Scott County fairs. But just a great man overall. Taught me a lot of things when I was there along the way to become a man. He also um, kind of got me in the right direction of starting camps and clinics. He introduced me to the superintendent as well as um, the guy that ran the uh, CERT at the time. We had a meeting. We put out my plan of what I wanted to achieve. The first and second year, it went great. And then this is now about to be the 50th. The pandemic forever clears up, but it's been great, man. We had a great response. The kids loved it. The parents loved it. I'm like one of the community guys down there now, you know. Yeah, I'm part you of the are. Community. 
Yeah, you are. How, how many kids you get at those camps every year? I think I range from over 100 to 150, depending on the age group, because I try to split up age group just because of the intensity level. So I try to keep the little ballers with the little ballers and the middle school with the middle school. That's awesome. And I know Dick Dick brought you out there because we never get big names in the area. Never. For sure. And that was and that was a lot of it. You know, he would tell me, you know, I would love if you came down to my town. It's a little far, but we love gopher basketball. We are Minnesota born and bred and we don't get to see a lot of you guys. Do you mind? I was like, No, you know, it's nothing. I will come there whenever you need me to. So with that putting it in line, it lined me up to have more connections in the inside of Jordan and just have more people that, you know, that just respected my game that I didn't even know from their parents to going to going to game with their parents' parents. So it all it was full circle. And he, he's an amazing man. You know, Dick did a lot of stuff for everybody, huge philanthropist. I mean, I don't know if there's a guy in more high school Hall of Fames than Dick who didn't even play the sports at that school. You know That's what I mean? Cool. Dick was an amazing man, helped out everybody. Well, whatever, let, he could, whatever he could do, he would try. Exactly. Um, you know, I want to I wanna get into your, your high school playing days. I want to go back to an AA, AAU uh, event. Do you remember the Charlie Weber event? Yes, I do. Do you remember balling out? Yes, I do. I can tell you exactly <laughs> where it was and what happened. <laughs> well, let me, let's get into it. So it was a Charlie Weber event. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was around... I want to say late June, July, but it could have been right before August. And um, I was with the Charlotte Aces at the time. And we're driving up, and I'm talking to Coach Lincoln because Coach Lincoln, Kevin Lincoln, was my AU coach. And I played with a great group of guys from Eric Hicks, who went to Cincy, Curtis Withers, who went to Charlotte, Justin Gray. But that um, at that time, he wasn't playing with us. He was playing with his uh, school, Okia, but we'll get into all that. Make a long story short, I get the bracket because I always like to see who we're going over because I was a guy that whoever the star guy is, I want to check and coach, and I want to show I'm better than him. So our first matchup is Mount Zion. They have Amar Stoudemire, Jerry Jack. I'm like, all right, this is my time. I'm rated at the time, 60 to 80-something. I got to pull up my rank. The ball goes up, and, yeah, Amari – let me let's stop there. Amari is probably one of the freakish athletes I ever seen in the world. <laughs> From before the microfracture surgery, you're talking about a dunking machine could move like a guard, run like a gazelle. Not too many people like that. Number one pick, of course, too, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I end up having a great game against them. Beat beat um, uh, uh, Mount Zion. Me and Jerry Jack was going back and forth. Now one of my good friends. Um, so make a long story short, I have like 28 on them, I think. And everyone knew I was going to prep school. The coach from Mount Zion came up to me and said, you don't have to go to this prep school. I was going to go to, um, dang, I forget the name of the school, but it was like in Massachusetts. And, um, he says, you don't have to go to Massachusetts. You can come to Durham. It's only two hours away from Charlotte. He literally told my grandmother, we're going to take him on the bus back with us. Y'all can bring his clothes the following week. <laughs> and, and to get on with the story, the next game we play Oak Hill, who has Carmelo Anthony, Justin Gray, Richard Joyce, 
um, as Sonny Diop, who ended up playing 12 years in the NBA. You know, I don't have the same outcome against Mount Zion that I had, I mean, against Oak Hill that I had against Mount Zion, but I had a great tournament, and I think that might have just took my recruiting to the next level. Bob Givens, he, he may have put me up a, like 10 or 12 slice in the nation recruiting and just said so much great uh, great things about me, how I was athletic, how I was a lockdown defender, how I played that tournament, one of the best there. So that kind of opened up me getting on the national scene. You know, in, in high school, is it weird seeing guys that are, you know, crazy skilled at that level, like a Carmelo Anthony versus like this freak of nature in our Mar- Amari Stoudemire? You know, it, it definitely is, but also you're on the same journey as them at the time. So you don't get a chance to be like, oh my God, he's good. Cause you're going down the same path as him and the player that you're going against and he's going against and you see you having the same success. So a lot of the guys that I played against, when they made it to the NBA or they became top 20, top 30 NBA players, I seen this when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, being at ABCD in Teaneck, New Jersey, versus Shabazzin Telfair, Lenny Cook, LeBron James, Charlie Villanova, Chris Bosh, Darren Williams. I seen these guys early. And, you know, I don't never toot my own horn, but I was right up there with them, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, you like you said, and I want to get into that ABCD camp too, but before we get into all that, when you were transferring to that new school, is that the same one that T-Mac went to? Yes, Mount Zion is in, in Durham, North Carolina. That's where T-Mac went to school at. Joe Hawkins was the coach, you know, came down from Florida and took that took that program to another another level. So it became one of the best prep schools, not only in North Carolina, in, um, in the world. That's crazy. That's Did that ever freak you out, too? Did T-Mac ever come back, come shoot some hoops with you? No, he never came back, but we heard many, many stories. And it was just like, also, because um, I don't know if you're familiar, you remember Marquise Daniels? Oh, God, yeah. He went there, too, like two, three years right before I got there because he went to Auburn, of course, and they had his picture still up. So I'm looking at all these guys, and Marquise had just got went undrafted. Uh, Josh Howard had went first round to Dallas. So yep. just to see the success he was having as an undrafted guy and end up getting his money before the first rounder, you know, that put all into play. Like, if he could do it, why can't I? I had the same tools that he has with the same schools, same competition. Let's just go hard. So, yeah. Mar- Marquise had a long career. He, he played for the Pacers. He, he had a, I remember him very well. And Josh Pacers, had a great career, Dallas. too. Yeah, Pacers, Dallas. Boston, but you know, those are those good two-way player wings that could do it all, just needed the right situation, he fell in the right situation down in Dallas, and you know, Mark Cuban was a genius for that. Oh, for sure, for sure, and and let's go back, let's run it back to the ABCD camp, where you saw the Lenny Cook, LeBron James story, you were there firsthand, the best seats in the house, talk to me about that. It went like this. It was crazy because, you know, everyone's running up to this court to see Lenny Cook and LeBron James. You know, Lenny Cook's been hyped since forever in a time. LeBron is the new guys coming on the scene, but everyone knows LeBron's going to take over. But, you know, everyone's been saying Lenny Cook's going out of high school. It's not, it's not even a question he's going. 
So we run over there. We get the best seats in the house. Lenny Cook, no lie, comes down. He crosses Ron seven times in the same play. Right to left, back and back, left to right, back and back, right to left. I'm like, whoa. Lenny Cook has that point after the seven crossovers, scores on a sweet swish. LeBron comes down 22 straight. <laughs> 22 straight. <laughs> In the rest of history, we know who King James is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crazy story, man. You tell that to everybody? If you ask me, you know, because, you know, if people in the past don't really know, don't remember ABCD, but if you're around my era and you know and you wasn't there, of course, like, say some of my guys went to Nike because Nike, of course, had the five-pass rule. Yeah. Nah, we was in T-neck where it was a mono of mono, and that was the best of the best. So people ask about how, how was ABCD? Who did you go against? What did you see? I seen the matchup that everyone wanted to see. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. <laughs> well, then again, like I said, man, you bumped all the way up to 52 in the rankings. You were, I mean, some people had you as high as uh, 19th best shooting guard in the, in the class. Great defender, major impact uh, it, it, on both sides of the ball. Um, was it crazy? For your decision, because you were originally going to stay. You did stay. You stayed home. You went to yeah. the University of uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, right? Yes. And then talk to me about that, because I know I mean, before we get into you transferring, let's let's go through it all before that all goes down. Well, yes, I picked University UNC Charlotte, University of Charlotte, however you want to say it now. Now they're Charlotte University. But I picked them, not only did I fall in love with the coaching staff, Kevin Nickelberry, Rob Moxley, Bobby Luke. Um, I had seen them for many years pick up Charlotte guys, and they had great success. But the real reason my grandmother and granddad had missed the game since I was five years old. Yeah. So they were getting elderly, about 70-something years old, and I didn't want them not to see my first college games, you know. So I tried it. It was a good run. Some things I didn't agree with. Uh, me and Bobby Luce didn't see eye to eye on some things that was said previously during the recruitment process. And, um, you know, we let bygones be bygones, and I went on to transfer. I had a pit stop in Dixie State, which was another, um, I can say, it was one of the best decisions I ever made because it humbled me. Not only did it humble me, as playing junior college basketball and already being at Division One, but it made me hungry because you could see how guys wanted to get to that level and make you play at a at a at a how can I say this play at a pace or make you play harder each and every game. So it was a dogfight in practice. You could have your eighth or ninth guy; he may score twelve or ten or twelve on the starters every day in practice, giving someone fit. So. JUCO is definitely tougher than what people think. And me being at one of the best JUCOs in the nation at the time with Coach Kidder, having four and five All-Americans before I got there, it was definitely one of the best decisions I made. What other schools were recruiting you during that process, though, before you chose Charlotte? Um, every To be honest with you, uh, me and my grandmother was just talking about this yesterday, and I asked her, I said, Mom, will you go find – because she has a lot of my memorabilia just packed up 
at my grandmother's house because I don't keep it with me. I want to just keep it at all at one time and just do my man cave. But um, she has my jerseys and, you know, frames and everything. But I asked her about the letters. I said, Mom, I want you to find the letters because I would like to show when I be talking, I really want to show my young uh, people that I train, my clients, what I'm really talking about. It's not only about just going on the internet. These are all the schools that was recruiting me in. And if you work, you can focus on trying to get these same letters in return. But get back to what I'm saying. It wasn't a school I can say other than Duke. And I I wanted to go to Carolina very bad. But Matt Doherty at the time, he had gave all his five scholarships to Rashad, Jackie, uh, Raymond, Sean May. And I'm missing one more person. But make a long story short, they told me I would have to prep one more year if I wanted to come when Matt Doherty, before Matt Doherty got fired. So I chose not to go to school when I was 20 years old. So you name it from everybody in the ACC, from Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina State, past, past the Midwest, I had UConn, um, St. John's, Boston College, everybody dang there. Man, that's crazy. Is it, was it going through your mind when you were doing it all? Like, holy crap, what's going you know, on? I grew, up, I grew up on Tobacco Road, so, of course, ACC, I'm an ACC guy. And seeing the letters come through was a blessing just to let me know you have way on your journey. You just got to keep working, you know? So I think the letters made me want to go harder and continue doing this because I could achieve the goal that I really want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. So then, you in your coach, you said your coach in JUCO, he really pushed you and got a lot out of you, and you said that made things easier for when you made that transfer to, to the U of M. I don't want to say it was easy. I'm just saying you told me in passing last time we spoke that he really got you grinding and showed you how to really work. Not only did he show me that, he when he first picked me up and I took the official to Utah, we drove from Vegas to St. George, Utah, which is about an hour of a long stretch of nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, he just basically like, Vince, you already been at D1. You're back in JUCO. I know you want to go back. So you have to put in the work. I'm going to do my part in the recruiting situation, but you got to do your part on the floor and in the classroom. I say, okay, what do you mean by this, Coach? Because I, I was always a workaholic. I came here. It wasn't like I didn't have grades. It was just I didn't get my release. He was like, I just want you to show your dedication in the classroom and on the court. Be a leader. Guys are going to look up to you. And I thought about it. I said, oh, okay. We got four D1 guys coming in. So from day one, he made me be the first in, in running drills, made me be the first one they always want to stop somebody on defense. First one to run a six-minute mile. He always challenged me every day. And you know, you can sometimes think a coach is picking on you, but they want the better, they want the betterment for you. And when I seen it early, I knew he was for me. And just putting me in situations of in the best, they get my best value out of me in games. Put me in transition, put me in pick and rolls, make me make me put defenders on their back legs so they can't defend me. So he would always just put me in great spots. And then that recruiting blew up. You talk about now, I had everybody on the East Coast 
And in the South, now I got everybody on the West Coast from Utah, Utah Valley, Utah State, UCLA, uh, USC. Like I told you, if you put in the work, you're going to get the results. He said, but he told me this, and I, I forgot to tell you this before. He said this. He said, how I'm going to work you. When you get to where you're going, is no coach can defeat you. Mentally, physically, or emotionally. You already went through those three with me. And this man stood at about four foot eleven, 125 pounds. <laughs> Coach Jeff Kidder, man. And and before I, when I got there, not only was he telling me what he wanted me to do and how could I do it, he showed me three All Americans. He had he said, before you Vince, I had Marcus Banks. He went number eleven into Boston Celtics. I had J.R. Raymond with the Oklahoma State. And I had Mo, it was Mo, I forget Mo's name, but I ended up seeing him playing in North Dakota um, in the D-League. But he was telling me about the guys that were been All-American before me, and he was just telling me, like, I did this already. <laughs> so you're coming here, hey, you can either work or not, but the proof's in the pudding, buddy. <laughs> So, so what, what are you doing then? How how do you end up choosing Minnesota over all those other schools? Oh man, this story now. This story, I tell yes. everybody because everyone wants to know because it, it seems crazy, but it doesn't to me. I'm a guy. I look at my situations. I look at the rosters. I look at what people did. Like people that never know. When I when I start checking all the top five conferences from Pac-10, ACC, Big East, SEC. Big Ten, in the schools that was recruiting, I looked at Arizona at the time. They had five guys, not enough balls for all of them. Mm-hmm. Mustafa Shakur, you you labeled him the golden child. Hassan Adams, uh, Iguodala didn't know he was going to leave, ended up being a finals MVP two years ago. Um, who else they had? They had um, Igor Moranovic and one more guy, but it, and Salim Stoudemire too wasn't enough basketballs. Not saying I couldn't fit in with other great players, but just looking at what I wanted to do, I was behind it. They had already been there three years before me. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma. You had Terrell Everett. Wherever Terrell Everett wasn't going because he was a big-time wing guard. Also, along with me, coming from JUCO, a lefty, whatever he was, we were recruited by the same people. Wherever he was going, I was just to fit in, you know. Mm-hmm. So he chose Oklahoma fast. So they went off my list. Kevin Simpson's a great coach. Look what he's doing down in Houston now. He's turned that program around. Oh yeah. Minnesota, they're three and twelve in the conference. Chris Humphreys just went to the NBA, average twenty and ten. You know they were. Mediocre, very, very mediocre. Haven't had a winning season in a long, long time. But what I did was I seen Devin Harris out of Wisconsin have an unbelievable junior year and just take the Big Ten by storm. I said, I can do it. And I'm telling Coach Walker, he was like, you really think you can do this? And these recruitment, I said, I can do this, Coach. I know I can. So, you know, I commit to him. I go see the canvas. It's cold. It's nothing there because everybody on spring break. 
You know, everyone's like, okay, he's coming. And the rest is history, man. My junior year was, you know, it went by storm. You know, I took the Big Ten by storm. You know, kid coming from JC, averaging 17. Everyone think your points going to go down three or four points. Actually, they stayed the same. It was just about me getting comfortable. Coach Munson and Coach Walker believing in me and let me lead the team and what I could do. And it all started. It's like I tell people it's about changing the culture. And that's what I did from the summer of getting there early, trying to change their uh, their mindset. They've been in a 48-month, maybe 24 months, 36 months, that's two, three years of losing mentality. I didn't come from a losing mentality. I came from always winning, and if I lost, I gave my best shot. Gave it all, I left it all out on the floor. And I had to pour what was into me into them. At first, they didn't take kind to it. But as they seen it, as the summer kept evolving and we kept evolving and we got bonded, the rest is history. We was fourth in the league. They hadn't been to the tournament since 97, which they took away. And, you know, 20-win season, actually 21 wins. It was great. Yeah, was that was the NCAA tournament that first year? NCAA tournament first year on my birthday and seeded in Charlotte. That's crazy. So it was like something you can't forget, you know? Ah, and then the Iowa State, man. I really wish you guys pulled that off. Yeah, I wish I, we did too because we would have got to play Carolina. And I wanted because I seen them in the tunnel. And I was like, and I'm talking to Ray because they all my friends. I'm like, man, we would have bust, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> you still telling that today? Yeah, I always like if I see Ray or I see Shauna, I was like, you know that 05, we would have bust y'all in the tournament. And they won the whole thing. But you know, just talking in basketball and they know me, they know how I am. <laughs> well, you know, let, let's bring it back. 17.9 points. You literally kill it. You lead you lead the team in scoring the next two years. Your senior year, you actually you had that hand injury, right? Yes. So then that actually messed things up for you. Dropped down, what, two points for your yeah. average? Three, two or three points? Yeah, two points. And then uh, the, the craziest thing for me, because I loved your game. Your game was so fun to watch. It was unorthodox, but you always put the ball in the hole, man. You know how to score buckets. Tell me about that. Where'd you get that from? Just going relentlessly to the rim, um. You know, guys I looked up before me, Dwayne Wade was – I was a big fan of Dwayne Wade. Even they got to play him as a freshman when he was at Marquette. But they're always a saying, this first commercial, get knocked down eight, get up nine times. You know, that's just the mentality, a hard-working mentality. It doesn't matter how it looks as long as it goes in. And I'm a guy that wants to play with a great field goal percentage. So if I get four or five easy ones, a couple steals in transition, free throws, and don't let me start hitting a three. That could be a 30 easy. <laughs> but, you know, I know I'm booking 20, of course, across the board because I'm going to shoot. I went to the free throw line my junior year 175 times, way more than anybody in the conference. So I know I'm, I can take contact and I can finish through it or I'm going to hit my free throw. So that's would just you, how I think. Would you really break it down like 20? Okay, if I go to the free throw line this many times, I make a three here, I make a three there, and then I get these many layups. Do you ever? Did you have that pr programmed in your brain when you were playing? I led the Big Ten in steals both years, so I know I was going to get two or three steals, especially in the in the front court. So I could get six points easy on my defense alone. What I get in transition, the bonus. 
half court, I know I got the ball coming to me eight or nine times. So I can, what I would do, this is my this is my game going in. I'm gonna take it slow during the first half, get everybody involved, let them get comfortable. Second half, now you understand why I take these shots because I've showed you in practice this is what I do. Yep. So with that, everyone understood. Brent Lawson, Jeff Hagen. So when I shoot the ball 14, 15 times, they understand. Vince is going to do it. He gave us the ball early. Mm-hmm. So that was my mentality. Unless in the first half I just caught a zone or something and I ran off 10 straight. But other than that, my, I'm a pass-first guy. I'm trying to get you involved because I was a firm believer, and I learned this from Coach Kidder, actually. If I get everybody involved and I'm going to you in the corner and y'all hit a couple shots, they got to stay out. Now it's one-on-one, and I don't feel like no one can stay in front of me. So, therefore, either they help or you hit the shot. If they help, I'm giving it to you. If they don't, I'm to the rim and one. So, it worked out. (laughs) (laughs) It worked out very well. I I, I, I mean, you were a two-way player, too, though. Where's the defense come from? That's the era I came up in. I came up in the, you know, we just watched the last dance. We seen what what the man, the greatest player of all time. He wanted to stop me on defense and offense. I can give you 25, but you're not going to get your average on me. So that was the era I came. This new ball that they play, buddy ball, you score 40, I score 40. We talk about it on the internet. Nah, <laughs> we wouldn't have that. I'm giving you 25, and you're going to have 12, and we're going to talk about how I killed you all night. <laughs> how'd, you, how'd you have the energy to do 20 on your side while locking down the best player? Because I used to push myself in practice. Um, if Coach Munson and Coach Walker was here, they always ask me, Vince, why you don't take many water breaks? I say, I'm going to push myself for these two hours and 40 minutes or three hours or whatever they're doing, whatever we got the practice schedule. So the 40 minutes in the game is not even tough. Plus, I got four-minute TV timeout. I can do this in my sleep. <laughs> and, I, and if people look back, I average 36 minutes. That's a lot of minutes to be played. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so it is. If, if you average 36 minutes, you're playing a lot of 40s. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? The, the crazy thing, too, is, I mean, your teams that you're on at the U of M, they were defensive teams. You know, you, yes. your guys' job, your game plan was to keep a team under 52 points. And if you felt like you did that, you were winning the game. Talk to me oh. about that. Coach Molinari came from Bradley, came from uh, where else he coached. He coached at a lot of schools, but he came in with a defensive mindset. And I'm always a defensive guy. But uh, his principle was don't let anyone go middle. And that was because, you know, if you have a good guard and he goes middle, he sees the whole world. He he has the drop pad, the pocket pass. He has the corner. He has the throwback. It can get real, real bad for you. That can be a long night. So we will push everything baseline. Or if you heard the terminology, ice, we would try to do that as well. But what he would say was, I don't care. It's going to be an ugly game, guys. The Big Ten is ugly. But if we can stop them, and hold them to 52 points, we have 53 in us combined with all 15 players. And that's our mindset, and we believe that some games will be 56-52, you know? But when you get that confidence and everyone believes in the vision, it's that much better. 
you have to buy into what the coach is saying. And I think we all bought in. How'd you convince the players to buy in to what you were selling? You know, all these guys, you're new, and you're trying to convince these guys, hey, we aren't going to lose anymore. Let, let's buy into this defense. How'd you get – I mean, like you said before, the game was very different when Chris was there. Yes. Averaging the 20 and 10, it was a completely different game when you took over. It was a lot of things that I said to my teammates where they understood where I was coming from, you know. I was basically coming from a situation where, of course, I was going to get my degree, but basketball was my life. Mm-hmm. Maybe you guys are going to get your degree, have a great job, go work corporate America. So, therefore, with basketball being my life, we don't have no days off. So, either you can take the nice events that I am, or you can meet the mean events. You know, and and that's what it was. A lot of, it was locker room, a lot of stuff was locker room talk that we won't discuss, but they understood it, and they bought in, and I was happy to go to the NCAA tournament, something they can always talk about, tell their kids about, because before then, they were never going. Yeah. So. That's facts. And, and that's how I got them to buy in, just basically, you you know, just telling them exactly how I felt and where I was at and why I go so hard and why I push so hard. You know, y'all got to realize, y'all came from lose, a whole season of losing last year. Do you want to be remembered as losers or winners? In life, you have results and excuses. Which one are you going to give me? And that's something I learned from Coach Kittle. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just those metaphors alone, and they understood. We want to get results. Okay, we want to get results. We have to work on our game. And, you know, the Summers and Williams coming to practice from from jump, talking to Coach Munson, buying in with him, Coach Molinari, Coach Walker, you know, and I wasn't a guy, I was a guy that played defense, but I didn't draw no charges, you know, and they doing a charge drill, and I'm falling on the floor, diving for the loose balls, and when you see your 17.9, 18-point score also leading the st- leading in steals, diving on the floor for loose balls, oh, yeah, you got to do it, too. <laughs> you see him, you know, we got a six-minute mile, you see him coming in at 530. Now you push. You, you Once you see your leader do it, you're going to do it. Having us wake up at 6 a.m. and do 30 for 30, that's 30 suicides in 30 minutes. Like, once you see that, you have to do it because I'm only following suit. So do you have some Kobe, MJ moments where you're barking at some of the teammates? You, you I punch definitely, a, a Steve Kerr in the face? You ever I, have any? No, I never punched <laughs> anybody, but I definitely talked to. I didn't. I didn't go as far as just barking down someone's back. But in the summers, I talked to them, and let them know exactly how I wanted to build a culture and what I meant by everything that I said, and I and show them as well what I was want, what I wanted to do, and they understood. At first, like I said, it was some. It went on deaf ears, oh, but yeah. eventually. Once they understood it, you know, a couple of chest checks in the locker room going through the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I want to get into what were your thoughts on Dan Munson. And the reason why I say this is it's interesting to me because you are the only person I've heard good things about Dan Munson. You're the only person to tell me good things. Everybody else has had 
bad experiences, especially recruits who went to other schools? Well, I tell you this. You know, you got good people and you got bad people in life, however it goes. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. But I can only talk good about a man that was good to me. Everything that he promised in the recruiting, everything he always did as a coach, you know, it was always to make me better and improve me. So I only have great things. I want to praise him as well as Coach Walker, you know, because we were all on the same page. I think they understood my vision before the team did because they actually came to my house in Charlotte and talked to my grandmother and understood, like, this is where I'm trying to be in one or two years. Mm-hmm. So if I choose your school, this is what I'm trying to do. So I think it was just about being on the same page. And um, they were great. They were great. You know, I've heard stories about other people not having the same, you know, feelings of me. You know, I mean, not me, but feeling of Coach Brunson like I do. But I, what can I tell them? That's how he, that's how y'all had it. I didn't have it that way. He was a great guy to me. That's good. You know, it's good you had a good experience. I, I tell I tell a lot of guys that you're the only person I've heard good, say good things about him, which is which is crazy because I hear a lot of stories. Talk to a lot of people. But he's sarcastic, of course, but he's dead. Like, you know, <laughs> it's on you to be good. A coach, like like I tell my, uh, my clients now, a coach can't take your confidence. Mm-hmm. You as a player take your own confidence. How can a man take your confidence? If you work and get your reps up, you'll continue having confidence. Mm-hmm. No coach should be able to allow to be in your head like that. If you if you do that, you're not mentally strong. Yeah. Maybe this is not for you. Maybe you're gonna need to play tennis or golf. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so your year that you had your hand injury, did you come back too soon? Um I would say yes. We, me and Coach Walker talk about it now. We, I definitely did because we had lost a couple of games, and I was anxious. When I got the coach, uh, when I got the Tim Grover, my trainer, because when I uh, I signed with BDA out of uh, Bill Duffy Association out of college, that was my agent. They all trained in Chicago with Tim Grover, the one we seen over the last dance situation. Mm-hmm. But he always had all the BDA guys, and um. He went, he did something with my hand and sent me to a doctor. My hand was only 50% when we got it tested. So I've played nine or 11 months with a 50% hand in my main hand at that. And you're, you're still averaging 16 a game. Yeah. Your, your rebounds went up, your assists went up, your steals went up. Everything went up besides points. That's the heart. That's all heart. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's just how it was. It was just off off ability and heart. And Coach Munson and Coach Walker put me in the right situation, you know. Like I always would give them the most praise because without them, I couldn't have did it. So they were definitely a big part of my success. Well, then, you know, when when you were playing, Ryan Saunders, he was a walk-on, right? For sure. At the time, did you think he was about to be NBA coach, coach of the Timberwolves? Like you knew his dad. His dad was good to you, wasn't he? Yes, his dad was great to me. Um, that's the reason why I leave my junior year because me, Munson, and R.I.P. Flip, we sat in the office and we talked about my numbers of where I was going to fall in. And it may be a good decision not come back to school, but we wasn't planning on me getting injured the first play of the 
first game of the season. But, you know, they, um, just he always gave me great knowledge of the basketball game. Anything I asked him, he always did it. Plus, he gave me a shot in 09 with the Washington Wizards. But um, going back to Rhino, Rhino's always just – you knew he was going to follow in his father's footsteps. He was always about what his father was doing. He was always watching Detroit games at the time because his father was coaching Detroit. He was watching Timberwolves games when his coach was with the team. So you knew he was going to go into that mode, how long it was going to take. And, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, it just goes and goes and goes. And now he's been, what, 12 years in, assisting with Washington, assisting with Timberwolves now the head coach. It was only right. You know, he's put in the work. He was a GA at Minnesota. It was only right. You know? Yeah, he's had a very successful career. He's been fun to watch, and I, I definitely loved his dad. So, I'm again, rest in peace. But I'm rooting for Ryan. I hope, I hope he has a lot of success moving forward. I text him here and there just when they first started before the pandemic started, you know, I was just hearing things like during the sports world of how he was trying to change the culture talk to some of the great players like before Wiggins got traded and Cat, and having them to understand what role he wanted them to play and how he wanted to play and just being a player's coach. And I said, man, I like what you're doing. Continue it. Always know I'm behind you 100%. I, th I think that's the way it's got to be. I think you definitely have to cater the game to the, the players. And you got to know your players. You got to be sure. able to, to, to put them in a system that they can be successful. A lot of people I feel like think, oh, my systems work, blah, 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 blah. But if you don't have the players to make that system work, it doesn't matter. Of course. You know what I mean? If you're not changing with the times and you're being left behind, period. You know, like like I always say, if you, if you swap, and these are two great teams, and I'm just saying, for instance, Wisconsin and Michigan State, you can't take Michigan State players and put them in Wisconsin's offense. No. And you can't put... Wisconsin players in Michigan State offense. Even though they're two successful programs, they play totally different. Oh, yeah. But oh, Wisconsin yeah. Wisconsin does a great job recruiting the state of Wisconsin and just getting the players that play in this system, pick-and-roll guys, three-point shooters, tough-nosed defenders. Sometimes they flop. But... <laughs> <laughs> they're great at stealing Minnesota kids, too. Great at it. You know, Lakeville with the big guy, you know, they that's what they do. But, you know, we, we're trying. We're trying. We're trying to keep kids home. We have a great um, young core group, 21, 22, 23 in Minnesota. So hopefully we get some kids, you know. The state of Minnesota is a hotbed right now for recruits. I oh see schools God. that I haven't even seen in 12 years try to get a, a out into Minnesota to recruit, so. It's just oh. good to see the guys are reaping the uh, the benefits of the rewards of all of us putting in hard work, you know? Well, it's crazy. You know, I, I just had this conversation with some Minnesota guys. I, I know you know Trevor Mbakwe and then Jordan Taylor, who was a Wisconsin guy, and then uh, Anthony Tucker, who was at Iowa. Um, Big Ten basketball was huge when they were coming up there, I think, 08. I think Trev was 07. Yes. Um, but we were talking about how hard it is, or first of all, Minnesota being a hub. But second of all, how hard it's been for U of M to keep in-state talent. A buddy of mine, Dawson Garcia, was just on the show. They mm -hmm. lost out to him, to Marquette. He could have gone to Blue Bloods. I mean, Duke, Kentucky, everybody was talking to him. Kansas, um, UNC offered him. All, I mean, he had 
so many offers. And he was a McDonald's All-America. Yes, McDonald's All-America. Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah, is, is, yeah, yes. He, he is. Know, and yes. And, um, I mean, there's Jalen. Jalen Suggs is going to be at Arizona. You got the Slim yeah, Reaper. And Green. Oh, my God. He's a freak. They're you got three that's going to come after that. You, yep. you have crazy. You had Deja that was at Park Center. Mm-hmm. So you have guys all over the board. You know, and I think, to be honest with you, and this is not an – I love my university because without them, I wouldn't be where I went as a player, wouldn't have my degree or, you know what I'm saying, every other thing that went on in my life. But I think what we lack, and this is big in recruitment, our tradition is not as strong as most schools as it should. And I can't say where the gap, where the bridge didn't get gapped at. Was it back when, after the Final Four, because of that era, or mm-hmm. a little later during after my era? I know Tubby Smith tried to bridge the gap because he had been at Kentucky and bringing alumni back and things of that nature. So I'm not speaking on coaches or things of that. I just don't know where the gap didn't get bridged at. So when you're in recruitment, you you getting recruited by Michigan State and all their alumni coming back, and you're learning these little facets of the game from people, players that's done played ten or twelve years in the NBA, and they're donating for new facilities and working out with you. It's a whole better field than just coming to play against a guy that you were in the classroom with and your teammate. You know, mm-hmm. so I think. Till we till we build trade um, tradition, and we have over two hundred gophers in the city. When I'm talking about football and basketball too, you know, PJ Fleck has turned that program around football, which I think will help basketball. For sure. Football's booming. Everything's booming. You know how that goes. Football's a money maker. You know, you mm-hmm. see how the SEC right now say we have to play. We yep. lose over a hundred million dollars by. Just teams alone, not showing up, you know. But I just talk about it on the recruiting. And I'm not saying, and I know I didn't mention Patino, but Patino did a good job. He's had a 21-win season. But we just have to bridge a gap, you know, and get certain um, certain alumni back in there to talk to the young kids and let them know we understand what it takes to, to wear maroon and go. We've been through the same walls as you all. Plus and so forth and so forth, but till that happens, we'll continue losing out on recruits. Do you do you feel like you know with Dawson going? Which I'm a huge fan of Dawson. I'm a huge huge fan. I I can't wait to watch him next year. I know he's going to succeed. I know he's going to have a great career in the NBA. Like he's just an unbelievable human too. But to see him leave Minnesota and go to Marquette, you know Marquette doesn't have better facilities. Doesn't have a better city. Like that that's a dagger to the Gopher Nation. You know what I mean? What it's what do they do about but, stuff like that? But see, like they go to UNC, you go, okay, yeah, he's going to UNC. You know what I mean? But they can say, okay, I'm going to Marquette, that's like a dagger. But that comes with tradition too now. And when I say what Marquette comes with, not just Dwayne Wade and Travis Diener and Doc Rivers and those guys. Mm-hmm what Steve Wojciechowski and the connection tree that he brings, you know, Steve Wojciechowski, Nate James, they've been to a final fours. 
They play for Coach K. They have certain guys when they were at Duke, such as, say, a Jason Tatum or someone that they coached already. Can you, can you touch bases with this recruit and tell them how is it for playing with you? That makes a lot of difference. That's impactful. Okay. I, I can only imagine if Dawson Garcia felt comfortable with the great alum, whoever that alum may be. Well, when you come to maroon and gold, it's like a family, you know? It's, it's tradition first, you know? This is how it's going to be in the Big Ten. This is what you got to look for. You're gonna, your games are always going to be on TV. You're always going to be the spotlight because it's never an off game in the Big Ten from Wednesday to Sunday. Things that we already been through in this, in this whole situation of basketball. But because you didn't have it, I'm not saying that's because he didn't choose us. But I'm just saying how I felt he would have felt more comfortable. Man, I, I wish we could have kept him, man. He he would have been a game changer. And, and having a guy like Daniel Aturu about to go to the league, you think that'd be huge for the program? Ugh. You know, hey, it happens, you know, but we tradition is key. You know, and I'm not saying tradition is the way we fell out with him because I don't know his recruiting situation. I don't know who recruited him in the staff, but, you know, it has to come. That that When you talk about blue bloods, Kansas, everyone goes back to Kansas. Every year, everyone comes back to UNC because Dean Smith put that in there. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes back to Kentucky, you know. That's just, that's what you think of when you think about college basketball families all at once. And if you don't have that, you don't have nothing. You're not built on no foundation. Have you talked to, like, Patino about trying to make that more of a prominent thing? No, I haven't. I have you know, um, I just go in pass and I don't really talk about it. You know, I've talked to a couple of the alumni, um, how I feel, you know, how I think things could change. Cause like they, they bump off, they bump ideas to me as well. Vince, what do you think? How do you think we're missing on all these recruits? Cause a lot of former guys know I'm a basketball head. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can take my opinion with a grain of salt. Or you can take my opinion and really like, it. so, but I'm going to give it to you. If you ask me, and I just tell them exactly how I feel, and I think traditions always, and I think everyone knows that. That's nothing that I'm not talking about that no one doesn't know. That's put on a jersey of maroon and gold. I just will you even help with recruiting if if the school came to you and said, "Hey, we want you to be a liaison, a liaison for uh, scouting or recruiting these kids that are in state." Is that something you'd be interested in? For sure, I still got connections up there with. The grassroots sizzle, Brandon, uh, Brian Sandifer, who been had them since they were the Rattlers and continued growing up for the last 14 years. He's been a mentor of mine. Him and Randy Carter, I can call them any day. They text me all the time, ask me what I think. And every time, if I can't go to a session, I wait till they come to Atlanta for all the unarmored things. So I'm always in, con in contact with, you know, so I would definitely do that because I love the game. And I want kids to get out the game what I got out the game and continue to grow. I want to see them achieve what they really want to do. When you say you want to really be an NBA player or be a professional, let's do this. Let someone that's made the mistakes and had to overcome obstacles so you don't have to go through it or show you what it means. You can, you can go in there and work and not work hard. You know what I'm saying? So show you the proper way to work out. You know, it's just certain yeah. things, you know? So, 
And you it would you, definitely be it would definitely be interesting, intriguing if I was asked that, you know. So we'll see. I think that'd be a really good thing. I think that's something that could help. I, I think the school definitely doesn't hit home. I've spoke with a lot of these kids that are in those positions that, you know, could be game-changing recruits for the program. And it's what I'm getting back is a lot of people just don't want to be the guinea pig, you know, with their career. You know, they're, they're saying, hey, I'm looking at this like a business standpoint. I want to give myself the best possible chance to go to the league. Sure. And, and, and I, I respect that because then when you, when you talk about it like that, it's like, all right, I got to put my feelings aside because I want what's best for the young man too. And, and but see that it, we'll get into something else, and I'm going to be brief about this. Certain institutions have that what you're talking about in the place. In Ohio State, you have Scooney Penn. In Clemson, you have Terrell McIntyre. In um, in Michigan, you have Bullock. Sweet Will Bullock. I mean, Lou Bullock. They all played at Michigan. They all, everyone that I've just named wore that jersey. And player development doesn't mean you you on the uh you on the floor as a coach, but you have as much as input. You know, the players still have to come into your coaching office. You still have inputs on practice plans and game plans and so forth, but you let them know what it takes for them to be a player athlete and what how they're gonna overcome adversity. Until you put someone in that situation that bled maroon and gold, it's going to be tough. I believe that. I believe that. And, and I want to get into a, a kid that you actually helped bring to maroon and gold. Alihan Demar. Am I saying Demar? Demir? Am I saying yeah, that? Demir. Right? Demir. Yeah. Demir. You know, you, you met him. He was playing with you pro ball overseas. And you yes, he was on a younger, He was on a younger team asking me, stuff all the time. How do you score? How do you get to the hole, Bubba? And Bubba is a Turkish language just for man or dude, you know, Bubba, how do you do this? How do you come off the pick and roll and see that, Bubba? You don't even look. Like, man, some of this is instinct, but this is what you should look for, and this is how you get lowered in the defender. Always square up when you do your ball handling. Square up, eyes looking at the bottom of the net so you see the whole floor. Just little things I tried to help him with. I never thought he was coming to the States. Really? I thought he was going to stay over there and get a bunch of money being a Turkish guy, being a local, and being on good teams. But he came to the States. He wanted the university experience, and I'm happy that he definitely got in style as well as Minnesota. So I'm waiting on him to see what he do with his career. He go back in Turkey. That's a great league over there. So he had a phenomenal career. That's awesome. And I just seen, we just got one from Fenerbahce too, a U under 19 guy, um, Mutas. Mutas. Yeah, they just recruited him. So if he's coming from Fenerbahce, he knows how to play. He just needs to know the speed of the game is going to be a little fast over here in college. And, you know, all the basics, staying low, making sure you get your dribble down lower, you know, little things, getting open. It's going to be a little physical. The Big Ten is very physical. They don't call much. So get ready. Gear up. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's swing it into your, your playing overseas a little bit because you had that gold medal in Turkey. 8-0. You guys were compared to the dream team, the 92 dream team, because you were beating teams so badly. Oh, that was, you that said what? Great. That was a great experience. And you were, I mean, you led the team in steals. Were you second in points, right? Third. Third in points, 
Yeah. Isn't there a story behind all that about how you got there too? Because weren't they trying to kind of dog you a little bit? Don't say it. They were going to cut me, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk, tell us about it. <laughs> well, I don't care. Hey, say it. Don't worry about it. But this is what happened. So I come to Colorado Springs and basically Coach Munson, Coach Walker, they first got me my first passport. They they take me to the post office to send my picture off and things because I didn't have a passport. I ain't one thing about going overseas. I'm trying to go to the NBA. <laughs> but make a long story short, they was like, yo, you got invited to USA Basketball. I'm like, for real? I'm like, all right, what time are we going? They were like, no, Vince, you have to take the correct, correct steps. Go get your passport. Go to Colorado Springs. Try out. Da-da-da. All these players are going to be there. Da-da-da. I said, all right, I'm going. So I get there. You got Jerry McNamara, Randy Foy, uh, Bobby, ja- uh, Bobby Jack, Bobby Jones from Washington, Chris Hernandez, Sheldon Williams, Craig Smith, Patty Sparks that just lit it up for Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, woo, this is a lot of people. <laughs> so And it was more people at the tryouts, too. I'm just forgetting all the names. I'm just saying who made the team. So we playing. I can't guard a soul. I'm talking about people are leaving me in quick saying, I'm like, man, what is wrong with me? I don't know what, but I'm doing, I'm doing great in drills. I just can't guard. So, like the day before we, uh, the um, the thing about to come out, the cut's about to come out. Jay Wright called me to the side. He's like, let me talk to you, Vince. I'm like, what, coach? You know, kind of down. I'm probably thinking I'm going to get cut. I'm like, all right, I've heard this before. What's going on, coach? He like, you know you know, Coach Cable? I was like, yeah, I know Coach Cable very well. Great guy. Love Coach Cable. Been knowing him since maybe I was 17 years old when his daddy was recruiting me. He was like, well, he really believes it. And he thinks you can be good because I was going to cut you. <laughs> he was like, but you going to Turkey with us. And when you get to Turkey, Show me what Coach K's talking about. I mean, Coach K was talking about. All right. We get on the plane. We go to Turkey. First game, little friendly game, whatever you want to call it. Boom, I'm moving faster. Getting points, getting steals before everything gets calculated. You play a couple of little exhibitions. He comes to me. He's like, I like it. I like it. Keep it up. So now the starting five is Jerry McNamara at the one. Randy Foy did two. I'm playing the other three, Sheldon and Craig. And I'm talking about we're demolishing everybody. Ukraine, China, um, Iraq, you name it. Killing. I'm talking about destroying. And um, at the end of the day, when we got our medals and we're sitting on the podium, he comes to me and he whispers to him. And he's like, man, can you believe I was about to cut you? He was like, if I could give an MVP out, I would give it to you like our unsung hero. You kept us together. You did all the necessary work. And, man, I just want to say it was a blessing coaching you. I was like, man, thanks, coach. And to see him from 05 to two, two uh, championships in three years, I can only see because I know what a player development comes from. I know your coaching thing. I know how you develop from your one to your five, you know? So mm. it was just great seeing that. And I, that's great stories I have to say. I was coached by one of the best uh, coaches in the world, and, you know? 
played with some of the greatest players in the world too. So, what was some of the off the off the like off the court stories during that time? Was there some crazy stuff going on? Nah, we were all in like um, a confinement, um, like a big university housing. So you had over 105 countries living kind of in the same combine, if I would say, you know. So you definitely got to see different cultures you had never seen. It was definitely a, you know, awakening. Okay. You know, and just talking to other people from different countries and relating it, how basketball is so universal. And you can take me from being from Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm talking to a guy in South Africa, but we have the same goals in common. You know, mm-hmm. that's what was great stories behind that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sitting down. How do you do these? How do you do this in your culture? So it was great. And just being across, being out of the world for 42 odd days. And back then, was no phone. So we all using the pay phone and we laugh and joke. <laughs> we got fighting over the phone? No, nah, nah, we never fought. But it was like, you got your 10 minutes, you got your 10 minutes, you got your 10 minutes. You know what? <laughs> We didn't have that kind of money to call back. So we were buying little uh, calling cards and that, you know, calling cards back then was probably only about five or seven minutes. You talk a little bit and then it was gone. Well, then you go and you do, you know, you're, you're prepping for the draft right after that, right? Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. I, go, I come back my senior year. Your senior year. Were you sad about going back to your senior year and not entering the draft earlier? You know, they tell you never have regrets in life, but do I think I would have had a better chance if I would have left my junior year. Some people say, yeah, you know, I feel everything happens for a reason, but I probably would have. Yeah. Yeah. I think my hand would have been stronger. I think things just would have been different. You know, I would have gotten workouts with guys that never seen me before, you know, and usually when they only have one time to look at you or scout you, usually they take you off just, you know, what they seen when they got, Two and three years, they try to dissect you a little bit, you know, which you, yeah. can't, you can't do. Well, I, I hear that story a lot. Um, Andre Hollins was on the show. He was talking about how he should have gone out after his sophomore year. Um, mm-hmm. Jordan Taylor said he should have gone out after his junior year. Uh, it, it, it sounds like a thing that happens often. I mean, and then you talk about a guy like Trev who, dude, Trev, just he got screwed into playing college for a very, very long time and then had that injury. That knee yes. injury, man, yes. I feel bad for that because I mean, you guys are you guys you got to the league, those guys didn't even get a chance to do that. But it's just like you feel an obligation on both sides, so it's like it's a candle burning at at both ends because you feel an obligation to the school because you do want to have a better year than you had before, but also your obligation is to uh, to make the best decision for your career. And at that age, if you don't really have nobody in your corner or even if your parents, they don't really know what's going on or have the right intel, it's kind of hard to make that decision, oh, yeah. you know. But now you can go get an agent and still go back to school. The guys have it way easier than we had it, you know. Yeah, it was way more definite back then. Yeah, you like had no it. agent. You're giving up your – even if you talk to agents, you're giving up your eligibility. You know, everything happens for a reason. We took it on the chin to make sure they have a better schooling now, you know. Yeah, I hope it keeps progressing. I hope it keeps going to benefit the players because it's they're generating way too much money to not have more benefits. 
even with them paying players, they say in the 2021 season they're going to pay for images. Even with the G League taking some of the highest recruits out, giving them 500000 to protect them, it's just a lot more avenues now, and I'm happy. Hopefully, two or three years from now, maybe next year, they start letting them go back out of high school because these guys are ready. The difference is, like I, I had this argument before, not even an argument, just a debate. They asked me, what's the difference of college football, I'm not college football, college players that play football going to the NFL after their first year in basketball. I say the difference is a college athlete that's a football player, his body hasn't developed. He's going against a 386-pound lineman that's 27 years old. At 18 years old, you can't take that. That's too much. That's that's going to kill your body. Yep. It's no different between an 18-year-old basketball player and a 23-year-old basketball player in the NBA. The only difference is you're either a little stronger and that kid may have more athleticism than you or shoot better than you. So it's kind of like you're on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just an easier transition. I agree. I mean, I think there's only one NFL player that probably could have made that transition from high school and He's Bo Jackson, Herschel Walker. Uh, Hurst, okay, two. I was going to say him and Adrian Peterson. Okay, yes, I take those two. Yeah, Herschel, Herschel's the, he's crazy too. I didn't even think of that way. He's crazy. 500 sit ups, 500 push ups. <laughs> Never lift weights. Never. Stacked. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> well, let, let's go back into the draft though. So you're prepping for the draft. Yes. What's going through your mind going into that? Um, I work out for 26, 27, 27 teams. The um, San Antonio brings me in um, a day before the draft after I had already worked out previously for them. And I know R.C. Buford, he liked me. But before then, like a month or two, a month or two before the draft, Tim Grover pulled me to the side. It was like um, Mickey Erickson already called me. Um you going undrafted to Miami Heat if no one drafts you. You already got a partial guaranteed deal. So we right now, you're not going to go to pre-draft in Chicago. You're just going to train with me. We're just going to get you ready just in case you don't get drafted. And so it was a week where everybody was in um, everybody was in uh, Chicago getting measured and things, and me and Tim was just in there by ourselves, work, work, because he had already got the call. Like, one of my guys is already going to Miami, so it's – you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it was just, it was a surreal moment that my goal was finally about to get accomplished. I would have liked more years in, but the ultimate is I got to where I wanted to get. I, I asked to get there. I worked to get there. Things didn't work out for the years, but I, but I did get there. Yeah. You know, I got a shot. I got the, I got to play against guys I looked up to my whole life from Gary Payton, Shaquille O'Neal. You know, um, Jason Williams, seeing guys of that nature, you know, in the locker room every day, Alonzo Morning, who was in Charlotte when I used to look up to him, you know. So mm-hmm. it was just a great thing, you know. I got a chance to see. I didn't get to see Hibachi. I got to see Gilbert Arenas when I was at Washington because his knee injury wouldn't let him be Hibachi no more. Um, Antoine Jameson, he grew up in my neighborhood, so I watched him go to Carolina and play at Providence High. Um Karan Butler just watching this work ethic and how his professionalism is on the next level. 
Um, uh, Deshaun, uh, who else was there? Um, the guy, he got drafted out of high school from California. Great guy, you know. So it was just, you know, surreal moments at Mike Miller. Just being just being there, seeing their work ethic, seeing what they do. Mike James, of course. And that's a guy, there's a story behind that too. Uh, Mike James, of course, you know, played for Timberwolves, played in Houston, played in Toronto, actually scored 32 tonight. Kobe had 81. No one never talks about his 32. Uh, but he told me, and he would always be messing with me like, Vince, I wasn't, this is online. He was like, Vince, let's go to the gym. Let's go play one-on-one. So every day before practice, we always play one-on-one or always would be a shooting and passing buddy. And I'm like, Mike, do you really think you, you know, and I kind of say something, yo, old, da-da-da, you really think your old, da-da, could beat me? <laughs> he was like, man, if I ever see you overseas, and I, because he had already played it in France, like his first two years, and that was 29 points. Mm-hmm. But he was like, man, I think when I finish my career, I'm going to go back overseas, play one more, two, just take the tour around Europe, da-da-da, da-da-da. I'm like, Mike, hopefully I'm still playing, but do you really think you can do this? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to score 51 on your head. I said, wow, that's a lot of points. Let's, let's fast forward this. When Washington releases me, I go to Turkey, to Merce. Oh, it's a lockout the next year. Mike comes to Turkey. I have this. I don't even call him. Don't Skype him. I have this game circled. He's playing against. He's playing for Edmir. I have it circled on my calendar with 51 in the bottom of the circle. When I, when I, so we get there, you know, he's shooting. I'm like, Mike, what's up, man? You remember that 51 talk? He was like, ha, 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 young fella. And they had him and Jarvis Hayes. You know, Jarvis Hayes got drafted 10 to Washington. <laughs> and I gave Jarvis Hayes something like 28. And we were shaking hands going through the, um, after the thing, shaking hands. And I say, Jarvis, you know Mike made you catch that 28. That's all him. <laughs> He's going to give me 51. And he just looked at me and just walked off. I said, I told you, Mike, that was going to be trouble. You on my neck of woods now. So it was fun times. Like, I got to play against Darren over there because he played at Bechadosh. He uh, took Iverson place. But me and Darren always been cool since, you know, Illinois days and playing against each other. So it was a great time. Let's rewind it back. Let's go back to that Heat roster. I mean, Wade. Shaquille O'Neal, Alonzo Mourning, Gary Payton, White Chocolate, Jason Williams, Antoine Walker, Udunis Haslam, Jason Capono, right? Yes, Mike Doliak. Mike Doliak. Yes. The whole championship 016. Yeah, you were right there. You were the guy that the coach said to Dwayne, this guy's going to make you better. He's going to lock you up and make you work. That's what you're saying about you. Yes, every day in practice. Talk to me about these stories. I mean, you're seeing a Shaquille O'Neal who's he's not at the decline. He's technically still in his prime. If you yeah. think about it, he's at like year 13 or 14 by then even. You're talking about a man that takes up half the paint. Yeah. Just standing up. But just seeing, D1, D, uh, just seeing D-Wade and me having to take on that, what Pat Riley said every day, and I'm giving him my best shot. And, of course, he's an all-star and, He's an all-NBA player, so some days it look tougher than others. Some days it gets ugly for me. 
But he would come to me after every practice or in the weight room when we're working out with uh, Bill Ferran. He'd be like, man, because I don't really lift weights. I don't lift at all. I didn't know that. I, I just do push-ups, do my little pull-ups, just work on my body. A lot of my stuff just came natural. Being from the South, just eating vegetables and doing a natural thing. So Dwayne, he he look at me like, man, you got me tough. You strong as heck, man. How you that strong and you don't lift no weights? I say, man, I just do it with all heart, my guy. And uh, he said, all right, tomorrow I'm going to show you all NBA. And it was some stuff that he would do to me in practice. I'd be like, that's crazy. But he would never do that in the game. But he would do it in practice. And I'm like, that's D-Wade. That's the finals MVP. That's what he does. But that's the guy I looked up to. So I wasn't I wasn't really, like, mad that you were killing me. But I'm giving you my best shot. I know you had a tough time, me guarding you. But I'm seeing what you're doing to the whole NBA. So I feel good about myself. <laughs> and to you, he was the best player in the NBA. For sure. Like, you know, you got, yeah, of course, you had Kobe in there. You had Melo. You had LeBron. But at one time, no one was stopping three. No one was stopping three. <laughs> you're talking about all-time top five two guards ever. That's That's what you're talking about. What was it like playing Gary Payton after practice one-on-ones? The oh, mouth, man. the glove and the mouth. That man would bag me down for the three-point line every day. And talk, like, how you see him on big three clips and back in the day, yo, man, you can't guard me. Twan, he talked, man, Twan walk away, he back me down. Twan, how many points you got? You got 18, I got 23. Thousand in the NBA, this little dude don't got nothing, and he can't guard me. And I'm like, man, won't you shut up so we can go? But those are stories. But he was only helping me. He was like, Rook, man, you gonna be all right, man. You just gotta keep with it, man. You know, I just talk to you like that because I know you can take that on your shoulders. Other people there back down and wouldn't say nothing and just go in their shell. I see that you you're better than that. So it was just, and UD would always be like, you're me in a guard's body. You're a hard worker. You're a hard mentality. You always go hard. You're willing to do whatever, you know, for the team. You put the team first. So it was this great experience. Tom Rocker always would talk to me. Only not when he was in Miami, but when he got to the Timberwolves on his last playing days, just giving me game about just being a professional, how to go in, how to do the right things, keep my nose clean, and, you know, just stay stay out of the way. But well, do he, all the right necessity things. And he's a dude who just if he would have been in if he would have been in today's generation of Hoopers, if he would have been in the NBA right now, he'd be a superstar. I mean, so, not that he wasn't when he was playing, but today's game is built for Twan Walker. You talking about a positionless four man right now with the jizzles, yes. the three point shot, shoot crazy shot. Man, he would have had a field day on some of these guys. Oh, my God. I, I think about his game, and he was dirty when he was with the Celtics. And I, I think about him, and they would be perfect for him right now. Dude, he'd be a half a billion-dollar man right now if he was in today's contract. You're talking about a trail four that can handle <laughs> the point forward. He's, man, and he had to handle. It's so a skilled. lot of guys that would be crazy for this situation right now. So He's, skilled. Yes, very skilled. You know, I, I heard this story. Um, that Gary Payton kind of linked you up, got you going, 
and you yammed, wasn't it? You yammed on Zoe. Yes, it was definitely. It was crazy. He almost GP almost got me beat up. <laughs> That's what he almost got me beat up. But I tell you, so we in practice, we going hard. Pat Riley got everybody going. He got all the all the rookies and all the vets. They they going at it. We switching. We going back and forth full court. We running. And I get a clean shot on the left side to the rim, a two-dribble leaner. And we know Zoe jumping at everything. And I hammer it on Zoe. I'm talking about hard. I dang that bring the rim down. Meaning, the next time I come down, I feel so good about myself, I do an in and out in the floater. I swear my floaters never got blocked. He took my floater and threw it to the wall like, fuck. I was like, man, how did you catch that? But I had just dumped on him, so he was mad. But make a long story short, practice old, get to the showers. We, I'm getting ready to get in the shower. GP come in there. <laughs> they was like, what you laughing for, gig? He was like, man, dang, Lonzo, you got a bad time with. Vince is like crazy. Vince Carter, Vince Jabber, don't join you in dinner. Now Vince Grill. And I started laughing, and that man said, what you laughing for? And his, and his like, uh, biceps got big. They were, like, already, like, 18, 19 inches. I'm like, man, we butt naked, man. Come on, man, with the boys. He was like, man, won't you shut up? <laughs> I'm like, man, calm down, man, calm down. But it was hilarious. But I was scared at that. Not at the time. You know, you know it's scary when a guy's butt naked trying to fight that, you. That was the scariest part about it. Wasn't that I was scared that if you were going to put me in a chokehold or something? I didn't want you touching me naked. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big naked man. That's a yeah. huge man. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear the story. Bitch got put in a chokehold by his own naked. Never want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I take the chokehold and I take he he had me in the headlock. I take all that, but not now. Nah, he beat him with no clothes on. Like, <laughs> do you do you have any other crazy stories with uh, maybe Shaq or I mean I, I really want to hear about White Chocolate too. White Chocolate really he was just coming off injury, so he really didn't say nothing. He was just more of making you try to do crazy stuff. Like, we were on a trip in Puerto Rico. That was the last year they played in Puerto Rico. We had to play our preseason game against Detroit in Puerto Rico um, against Rip, Ben Wallace, and them. But he tried to make me take a teaspoon of cinnamon and see could I swallow for, like, five or 10,000. You and do I, it? I tried. You can't swallow cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> Did you think you were about to get five ten grand right on spot? You like, oh, light it up. They had it on the table in front of the teeth <laughs> on the center. Didn't work. <laughs> I was in there. <coughs> <coughs> and it's like no water, just try and they knew there was things you couldn't do. But it was crazy. <laughs> but the Shaq story is him. So everybody in the league has their symbol for pick and roll basketball. Yeah. Miami is put it between your legs, the big nose, the automatic come out. You don't even have to say it. Just put it between your legs. So Shaq got either Mike Doliak or maybe it's Zoe or maybe it's Earl Barron, you know, the other guy that won a championship that played in Memphis. Good guy to Earl is a great guy. He got him back to the basket. I'm talking about C U D. 
Me, I should have threw the injury pass, cut through, got out the way, because that is Shaq Diesel. <laughs> I put the ball between my legs because I wanted to get me some action in that day. He literally stopped practice, didn't say nothing to Pat, but blew his own whistle with his two fingers and said, young fella, look here, Rook. Two things I don't do. I don't guard a pick and roll, and I don't pick and roll. <laughs> and I wanted to say, you wouldn't say that to Kobe when y'all was working. <laughs> he was throwing it up to you. But you know what, Vince? It's better that you shut up right now and don't say nothing to that man. And, you know, I say no problem. And when I caught it back, I seen him see it, threw it to him, and ran to the corner and got out of it. <laughs> And then everything was kosher from there on out. Never, no worries. My man, my fault, big father. Next time you down, I don't even worry about it. Don't even have to scream a name. I see you. Start <laughs> writing your numbers. <laughs> did you want me to go on the inside of you or the outside? How do you want to work? <laughs> or do you want me just to spot around you from corner to the top? Look. <laughs> What what was Pat Riley like? Uh, Pat Riley like back then, the Silver just, Fox. Man, just just a brilliant mind telling me, go at him, giving me all the confidence, telling me don't worry, whatever happens, how, whatever decision comes out of this, if you make it or you get cut, I've cut Bruce Bowen three times. I've seen guys like you be great defenders, offensive weapons in college, and have to change their position but always stick with it. Continue to grow. It's not about your plan, so never get down on yourself. You can definitely play basketball, and you definitely deserve to be in this uh, league and things of that nature. He was always encouraged. Well, it, it's crazy you brought up Bruce Bowen because when you told me San Antonio was looking at you, I immediately thought of Bruce Bowen, and I feel like that would have been a great spot for you at Pop. R.C. Buford. Great organization, you know, and like I said, they brought me in twice, and I thought I may have had a chance, you know. At the time, Manu was very, he was not young, but he wasn't old. They had some other wing players um, that was coming through there, Steven Jackson at the time. So, Bruce Warren, I think, was he still playing or was he on his way out? But, you know, they still had a great organization. Things didn't work out. Do I think I could have fit in? Yes. But, hey, the world, that's how the world works. It made me strong as a person. I got culture, played in 14 different countries, got to see the world, got to tell stories like we're talking about today. Can't beat it. Yeah, man, you played all over the place, I mean, it, it, everywhere. You did the D-League, too. And then you also had your, your second stint in the NBA with the Wizards in 09 with Flip. Yes, what was that experience like? Were you finally thinking, all right, here's my chance to really, really get a run with this? You know, I just wanted to go in there and um, basically just show what I could do, whatever happened. I knew people were kind of saving their money because that was the year that everybody was trying to save their money for LeBron James, thinking they had a shot at LeBron James. So people were trying to keep 14 instead of 15. Some people kept 15, but a lot of people was keeping that last roster spot open just for trade purposes or what could happen, you know. So um, it was just I wanted to show myself I could still go in there and do what I could, even though I knew I already had a deal kind of in place. 
mm-hmm. but I wanted to show myself like you belong here, man. If if things don't go the right way or they go the right way, because every time you talking about a person, I'm going to the last day right before they start up. So it's kind of like it's it's a mind game almost. You know, you yeah. you don't get excited as you once did because. First of all, you don't want to let your you don't want to fail yourself, or you don't want to think that it's gonna happen, so you don't have any reaction. It's just like oh, okay, whatever comes with. Well, when you were playing overseas too, one of my favorite things that I read about you is you gave back a lot because you saw a lot of overseas poverty, and you would do a lot of free basketball clinics, youth camps, just a lot of volunteer work. Where did that come from? Just came with them, man. Um, I was blessed to have older people in my corner and give me the game as they were coming up. And so who am I not to give back? That's why I try. That's why I go so hard and tell my clients now, you know, it's all about you all. It's not about me. I've had my heyday, you know, but you have to, you have to want it more than I want it for you. And that's where it all comes from. Just seeing the kids like that joy, you know, I remember myself like watching the last dance now and talking to some of my buddies. And I remember when I was 12 years old watching WGN, Channel 24 in Charlotte, watching Michael Jordan play the same games live. It's a joy that you can't explain. So the kids, they get to talk to those professionals when they don't get a chance because they're going through something, their parents don't have the money, or they're they're not just as talented as the next kid. Why not let them feel that for, what, two hours out of your day? Mm Mm-hmm. You're already getting money. You're already getting paid to do the game you love. They might not never have any ways of means to either even get to see some of the games that they love, of the players, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's where it comes in that basketball brings a lot of people together, and I think that's where it all comes from, bringing it all intact and bringing everybody back, you know? What I mean by that, bringing – Girls, boys, fortunate, unfortunate, just bringing all that together because, you know, basketball is one big family. Vince, man, I love talking with you. You have such a big heart. You've accomplished so much. And I love watching you keep keep expanding everything that you're doing. And I appreciate you coming on the show, man. It means a lot. No problem. It's all good, man. I thank you for having me, Cal. I look forward to seeing this. Oh yeah, and we need to get you at that uh that development player development for the U of M. We need that. We need that. We'll see it, man. We'll see if it happens. Hopefully if it doesn't, hey, hopefully I'm some player development somewhere else, you know, helping a lot of more a lot more kids. So, you know, that they don't have to come up through Minnesota. They can come up through Milwaukee. They can come up through South Central LA, wherever. It's all about just making one better, you know. Iron sharpens iron. Facts. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.